This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Welcome to the Raw Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dudley Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamlet and Michael Sidgwick, here to review everything that happened on last night's episode of Monday Night Raw. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts where we not only review Raw and SmackDown, but also NXT, AEW, Dynamite, pay per views. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a round of the week complete with a bloody quiz, of course, on wrestling culture. As I said, they're joined by Hamlet and Sidgwick to review last night's episode of Monday Night Raw, which was better, Hamlet. And it's faint praise, but it wasn't as bad as usual. Yeah, I sit here with about like 15 to 20% less existential dread than I normally would of a Tuesday morning. Um, off the back of just a run of abysmal roars, more abysmal than the usual, more abysmal than the bad that we've come to expect at WWE's low bar. And a, like a major step up from a piss week pay per view. Like Helena Cell was so boring and so little of it was any good that I just had like even less enthusiasm that I normally got for approaching a raw at after clock of a Tuesday morning. And this, yeah, it met my incredibly low standards just about for an episode. Don't get me wrong, Sage, there were some dreadful moments still on this show we will get to. Um, but I think I saw Sean Ross Sapp tweeting saying, hey, guys, WWE have actually done qualifiers for Money in the Bank. It's We're giving them credit for doing the most basic stuff now. But when it comes to Monday Night Raw, genuinely surprising when they sometimes do that. I mean, it was a terrible TV wrestling show and a terrible TV show. You still didn't have a main event plan. <laughs> you still had an opening segment that built a main event it's still fundamentally a piss poorly scripted professional wrestling show with innovated professional wrestling matches dumb characters unlikable characters silly fantastical characters and yet it did feel to a degree like the outwardly awful content churn had subsided 
under the idea that our oh, Christ fans are coming back and we've got a new cycle of storylines to tell. Ultimately, this felt like a 2019 Raw, <laughs> yeah. which in 2021 feels like a 1997 Raw. <laughs> but it's still a terrible show. But I, it's, I'm saying with Hamza, I didn't get that overwhelming nihilism watching it purely because some of it was new bollocks. Mm. Well, let's start at the beginning of the show. Of course, the uh, still WWE champion Bobby Lashley came out, flanked, of course, by MVP and his ladies uh, to celebrate the fact he defeated Drew McIntyre Yes, by a roll-up at hell in a cell. He said Drew McIntyre took him to his limits, but even at his best, McIntyre was still not good enough. And uh, MVP reminded us that this was, of course, McIntyre's last chance at hell in a cell. He can no longer challenge Lashley, and they put up an image of Lashley celebrating with the WWE Championship and a sad Drew McIntyre. Uh, and they're going to toast with the champagne that they've got there to celebrate Lashley moving on and you know retaining that title when the new day interrupts with a trolley full of toast. Good news, love. They're not buying any more goo, but the bakery is in full effect. They come down in toast, get it? Uh, they they throw toast at them. I, honestly, they've got the makings of a great sandwich with some of the stuff they hoy about on Monday Night Raw. Um, tomato and goo sandwich. Tomato, goo and bread. It's a lovely combo. You've got to have bread in there somehow. <laughs> um, hey, here on Monday Night Raw, we only eat food for sustenance. This is not about enjoyment. You need your daily, your daily intake of goo and tomatoes, Michael Sedgwick. So anyway, MVP says all this clown bollocks is why Kofi Kingston was only watching Hell in a Cell, not getting involved with it. And Kingston says, look, I associate myself with my friends, people I trust, not users like you. Will these ladies will still be with you if you didn't have the title? Would MVP still be beside you? Uh, and Lashley said, well, it doesn't really matter because I'm not planning on losing the title, especially not to you. You lost the title. You were busy making pancakes. And that's why I'm here at the top of the hierarchy and you're at the bottom. And Kingston said, well, let's not forget, I did beat Daniel Bryan to win the WWE Championship and... I beat you a few weeks ago. They show a replay neglecting to include Drew McIntyre's involvement and all that, of course. Uh, and Kingston challenges him to a match at Money in the Bank. MVP guffaws at this suggestion, but Lashley immediately accepts. He reminds everyone that that was because of Drew McIntyre's involvement that he won that match. And he wants their match at Money in the Bank to have no interference, no outside involvement. So he's going to murder Xavier Woods tonight. Woods says... I'm used to people dismissing me. He ran down his accolades. He talked about, you know, the amazing stuff he's done with YouTube and not only all that, but he's an 11-time tag team champion too. And he wanted Lashley to underestimate him. And he looked up and he said, you and me, Bobby Lashley, tonight. Hell! Hell! And Lashley accepted. We get another Hell in a Cell match, Michael Sidgwick. What do you reckon to this uh, opening promo off? Well, you're not alone in saying that. Was Raw a bit better than usual? From what little conversation actually reaches my timeline, people had a similar, like, incredibly detached, euphemistic tone in their voice about this Raw. But, like, let's boil down those elements. You've got a promo train segment with juvenile prop comedy that functioned to build 
the third consecutive WWE show on which there was a Hell in a Cell match. Come on. Like, it's bad. It's bad. It's not good. It is trope-heavy, totally diminished returns of a stipulation that's been dead for literally over a decade at this point, and I still, there are still some corners that seep into a pretty well-curated timeline that saying, oh, yeah, I should get rid of Helen, so I kind of lost its uh, aura. Like, die. If you're saying that quote, if you're saying that take in 2021, you are a knob who has somehow generated 10,000 followers by following 10,000 people with your ancient, low-hanging fruit takes just to form some likes. They are worse than the mutants. They are honestly, the performative <laughs> positivity accounts are worse than the mutants. Sorry, I just had to get that out of my system. Bad wrestling television. But here's the thing. The bar is so low that for once, by setting up a match well in advance of a pay-per-view, tick, that's something they haven't been doing. By setting up a pay-per-view match that didn't happen at the last pay-per-view, tick, this now qualifies as a good thing. If I can be generous, I will say one generous thing before I hand over to my esteemed colleague. The actual use of prop comedy didn't merely function as a stupid thing to delight what's left of Vince McMahon's juvenile mind. It had a purpose in that it existed for MVP to bury it and to make him get serious. That was one halfway redeemable thing about just a bad WWE segment that is now apparently good because we've reached a new low. It was hard as well not to see through the cynicism knowing that the USA Network were kind of annoyed about the promotion of the Hell in a Cell match on Peacock, I think it was, mm. like a TV Hell in a Cell match for Fox that wasn't for their service, that they get given one in the form of a raw one a day later as well. Like, it's just, it, like, there was an, a, the appeasement was obvious. Yeah, I was going to say, that as parents of two children each, you must yeah. know that thing very well. <laughs> I, I recognise what was happening here. Like, oh, Christ, I've given SmackDown something. The best giver all the same. Um, but as well, like, the... The other new story that came into my mind when I was watching this was that, you know, people thought Bronson Reed and Karrion Cross were there to work a dark match ahead of a call-up, but it's not that, is it? Triple H told his NXT trainees not to be complacent when they got to catering. And obviously, somebody went into catering and said, uh, we need two people to put their 88 slices of toast, and their hands just shot up. <laughs> so Karrion Cross and Bronson Reed were kept nice and busy ingratiate themselves with the roster, getting the prop, getting the props for the prop comedy ready. But yeah, to echo Sidgwick's point, I this in any other week would have just been, oh, it's WWE's recent obsession, throwing food. They're just mad into that at the moment. But it was purpose-serving silliness. Um, MVP specifically said that in a pretty like great takedown of the New Day's nonsense the other week. Um, and this fed into that. And you got the feeling that Woods and Kingston knew that too. So there was a certain, we just like seeing, again, low bars, but we just like seeing the baby faces getting to be intelligent. And you sense that they saw that coming. And it wasn't just that kind of like, oh, spontaneous match stuff. It was that they had the comebacks loaded up because they knew they were teeing them up in the first place. So it was nice to see the New Day with a bit of agency as well, rather than just being the fools. Uh, as I mentioned, as part of this opening as well, there was uh, a reveal that we think we're going to get five qualifying matches for Money in the Bank tonight. Good. I mean, it's the bare minimum, as we said, Siege, but good. 
I don't just say this person, this person, this person automatically gets straight into a match with potential title ramifications down the line. So we find out it's going to be AJ Styles versus Ricochet. Uh, prior to that, we see AJ Styles and Big George walking backstage. The Viking Raiders are there uh, and he tells them Styles that is to watch him, watch them. Watch him beat Ricochet into a pulp tonight. Uh, he's going to win Money in the Bank. He's going to become WWE champion again. And then they will defend the tag team titles against them. Um, Eric says, we've beaten you before. We'll beat you again. Styles gets angry and knocks the turkey leg out of Ivar's hand whilst calling them stinky, smelly, something, a real zinger like that. Um, and Ricochet cuts a pre-tape promo and goes, yeah, do you remember when I got butchered by uh, Brock Lesnar in like 30 seconds? Yeah, that was pretty bad, but uh, I'll do whatever it takes to win. Who knows? Fingers crossed. Good luck, everybody. And then we got the match. It's Ricochet versus AJ Styles. It's unsurprisingly, you can put him in a ring, give him 10 minutes. Yeah, they're good, aren't they? We should do that more often. Um, you know, back and forth stuff here. Uh, Ricochet ducks a Pele kick. He hits a German suplex into a pin. That was great. Styles gets him in the calf crusher, but Ricochet gets a rope break. Styles hits a fireman's carry neck breaker, sets up for the normal forearm. But then the Viking Raiders rush out. They're brawling with Big George Omos, who fights them off, goes to charge both of them, goes full Nia Jax being possessed by Alexa Bliss, ah! runs at them. They move out of the way, he sm smashes through the barricade. This distracts Styles, of course. So by the time he goes for the phenomenal forearm, he lands straight into a recoil from Ricochet. One, two, three. Michael Hamflet, Ricochet is qualified for money in the bank. Look at you. Oh, bless him. I'd ruffle his hair if there was any there to ruffle. It like, I didn't love. <laughs> I didn't love this, um, which is a problem because it's Ricochet versus AJ Styles, and they're actually doing the work to promote a tag title match. They're, you know, they're trying to tell a story. Um, that's WWE's fault. It's their presentation style. It's the Thunderdome. It's the constraints they put on their wrestlers, even when they're as good as AJ Styles and Ricochet. Um, but I didn't hate it either. I just, I, I'm struggling at the moment to do backflips over much of this product, and I think, I think that's maybe part of the issue. Um, there was a lot to like. I thought, uh, like, you can just so you can just see with AJ and Ricochet when they don't mind giving their bodies over to each other to do the riskiest stuff. There's almost like a safety in their assurance of how good they're going to be with one another. But it, for some reason, within WWE, like, it looks more boring than it would be if you were like a 200-seater indie. I was reminded of the match they had. I want to say it was a SummerSlam where like AJ beat him for the like the United States title. And the same thing happened there where it was definitely in 2019. And the same thing happened there where you, you just can't quite work out why the moves aren't landing as much. It's because you, they're allowed to do one and then it's right, turn it down, pull it back, turn it down, pull it back. And then you get three more moves and then it's turn it down, pull it back, turn it down. And like, I don't know, like this would have been a match where you could have let them go. And I think it would have helped them build the momentum that they're trying to around money in the bank, about the return to the road, about the return to crowds, etc. But like all of this was broadly fine and they did at least, they have done now two weeks of story to build to a tag title match for AJ and Omos. So, you know, it, it's all on the right lines, but I wasn't going crazy for it. I wasn't doing backflips over this and neither was Ricochet and that's the problem. You stick this match on AW Dynamite. I love doing this on a podcast because you, if you say this on Twitter, you get quote tweeted. You put this match on Dynamite and it's a star and a half better. Guaranteed. Like, guaranteed at this point. You know what the WWE style is. You know what the WWE pace is. And I know why they do it. And that makes me hate it more than solid, forgettable pro wrestling. Like, 
cookie cutter pro wrestling that I'll never remember or get like really thrilled by. And the reason why they do this is bad. If you didn't know this, I'm going to let you in on a bit of a shocking secret, right? WWE thinks you're thick, right? They think you are an idiot. They will constantly betray their own rules that barely exist in the first place selectively to drive whatever storyline they want forward in whatever direction they want forward, despite what's happened before. We saw it um, with the, the table stuff and Rhea Ripley versus Charlotte Flair. That just completely collides with the idea that the table is okay for Randy Orton to use as a weapon. You're not, they don't think you're going to point that out because you are thick in their minds. The reason why these WWE matches that would be a star and a half better in New Japan and in AEW, the reason why they're slow is because they think you are thick. And if they work at an absolute breakneck speed with sort of convoluted, super dramatic sequences, that you will simply get lost. And more to the point, Vince McMahon wants to slowly drain his talents so that he can maximize their usage. I know this doesn't really work because... They haven't been on the road for a year and a half, but be there soon enough, and they'll always be there. So he wants to preserve his investments, and he wants to make sure that you get it, right? So when all these old heads like Randy Orton and The Undertaker talking about slow it down, slow it down, brother, you heard about this thing called psychology? What they mean is, yeah, man, if you go too fast, these idiots won't be able to keep up. I think... The total radical transformation of professional wrestling in North America would completely put a bullet in the head of that idea. But I'm not a billionaire, right? I haven't monopolized anything, so who might I say that? I was bored by this, even though it was objectively good. Uh, Riddle was uh, walking up to Randy Orton backstage. Not only has he got the uh, RK Bro t-shirts, now he's got more merch. He's got a mug and he's got a bag where he keeps his stash not drugs, though, guys. Burgers. Uh, rambles on about burgers, about the Burger King or some bollocks. Who cares? I'm very much on Randy Orton's side at this point. Shut up. Be quiet. Riddle asked him for tips on the Money in the Bank match, and Orton told him to stay out of his way. And Riddle said, hey, wouldn't it be awesome if we both qualified for Money in the Bank? And Orton said, wouldn't be awesome for you, and walked off. And then... Eva Marie and her mystery partner were interviewed by Kevin Patrick, who was called Kyle by Eva Marie throughout this interview. She said she wanted last week to go perfect. She even got a mani-pedi just before the show, but unfortunately, <laughs> she got a bit of a cold as well. And so she got her protege to take her place. And he said, oh, yeah, about her, actually. Been really bugging me. What's her name? Obviously, her partner goes to say, I'm Piper Niven. It's me, Piper Niven from NXT UK. But Marie goes, oh, no, it's Dewdrop. I don't even know what that means. Like, I know what a Dewdrop is, but the way they've spelt it on screen is, I don't know. Even Piper Niven looked like, what the f*** is this? And then she had to, I don't know, hold Marie's robe as she walked off before we got the match. Sit your face as a picture. Anything you want to say about Dewdrop before we get to this epic betrayal? We'll just get to the epic betrayal. Okay, well, let's talk about the match. We can talk about all this as well. Because, yeah, uh, it looks like even Marie's going to start the match. They're facing uh, Naomi and Asuka in a tag match. The uh, winning tag team qualifies for money in the bank, of course. 
and Eve Marie immediately tags out, brings in Niven, who just wrecks uh, Naomi, as she did last week. It looks like she's going to do a huge move off the top to finish the match off. And Marie spots her opportunity, tags herself in, covers Naomi. But Naomi, of course, kicks out. Big old shocked face. <laughs> Eve Marie goes, all right, fair enough, that didn't work. I'll tell you what, you take over again and I'll take the pin again. And one week, one sodding week after they debuted as this pairing, it's time. Dewdrop's had enough. She can't take any more of this. She betrays Eva Marie. She hops down from the apron. Eva Marie gets rolled up and pins. Naomi and Asuka qualify for money in the bank. Sweet Jesus, Sidge. Baffling. I'm just baffled. I don't know what they're doing. And I can't, therefore provide analysis on what they're doing if I don't know what that thing is. Dave Meltzer, one of my favourite ever quotes, he was talking about Lars Sullivan at one of the Saudi shows going three-on-one with Lucha House Party in a presentation that did nothing. It was either Nount or something. And given Vince's predilection for pushing, like, just monsters, loves them, Dave Meltzer said, we are talking about a guy who's forgotten how to ride a bike. It's like, that's perfect. An absolutely perfect remarkably succinct take <laughs> from the genuinely ven- venerable um dave Meltzer. um he's missed an opportunity as vince to be like really cruel to tell this really cruel story about the willing very talented powerful wrestler who simply is not as telegenic as the person who has hired her services and will not get the glory. You can then tell a nice story that's going to put smiles on people's faces throughout which even Marie's going to be like really callous, <laughs> like <laughs> incredibly callous to this person. Um, do drop leading to either like a really unhappy ending just because Vince likes them as well <laughs> or a happy ending that's simply not going to go anywhere and even Marie's going to get the bigger push because of course she is. But none of this has happened, and Dewdrop has agency. She was tutting at the idea of being sort of manipulated by Eve Marie. She expressed frustration that she would have to literally carry her um, coattails. And then she just betrayed her. I'm, I'm baffled. I, I'm humble. What do you think is going to happen? What do you think was the plan was? Uh, help me out. No idea, man. Dewdrop, when she got off the apron, Pull the face that you guys do, that like cheek chewing expression when somebody's on Twitter talking about like hashtag long term storytelling, which is ironic considering that this was the total opposite of that. I just paid it all off in a week. She was so like smug and chuffed with herself, as someone should be when they drop down off the apron for the tag in that spot because it's typical of a story that's had weeks and weeks and weeks of payoff and that the person in the ring should never see it coming and all that sort of thing. Um, And in character, it was a sort of a stupid call. Because what a time to pull off that turn. Um, one more beat down in three more seconds and she'd at least been in money in the bank. Yeah. You know, so like that loss has been far more damaging than the severing of a new relationship with Eva Marie. So not even that smart a betrayal at week two in the story. Like such a strange development, this. Um, I guess I'm sort of morbidly fascinated in where they're going next, but that's the only fascination WWE ever earns typically say for the one or two storylines that are ever decent it's always just oh that's like that's weird i guess i'll keep looking it's not like i'm invested 
But I'm, uh, you know, like I'll I'll pay attention to the segment a bit more because I just didn't see that coming this week. And of course, it was with a roll up as well. Like, well done, Asker and Naomi, two once beloved baby faces that are going to get huge reactions at the pay per view because fans remember. Like, they're going to get massive reactions, and they've qualified via banana skin. Nice one. One more thing to add on this is that I think what was astonishing to me. Looking at why I do why I do this to myself, I've got no idea. But again, I like to gauge the temperature. So I'll go on Squared Circle. I'll go on other websites and look at their comment sections just to get the measure of what people thought of um, Hell in a Cell. And I think everyone is unanimous in, yeah, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn had a good match, but, you know, it was well below the very best of which they're capable. Seth Rollins versus Cesaro. I think everyone was just like, it was good, but it was really boring. So I was like, Jesus Christ, people are going two foot on this. And it's not just me. Um, for, for how actually boring it was because usually people are like you've got the odd people who said it was oh, solid as if that was good but mostly I think people were like yeah, this is boring this who cares if that had a good match and like, usually it's the good matches the fact that they would be better elsewhere isn't acknowledged they just say well it's good wrestling so it's obviously good why they complain about it that take just wasn't prevalent literally the one thing that I think that people really were nice about Hell in a Cell in regards to where, well, you know, something of a record, they had more women's matches than men's matches. Mm. And people were like genuinely quite like pleased by that. Then what happens on Raw? Uh, like, uh, tag teams for the women, so that will get fewer matches. Like, they can't do anything. It's mm. hilarious. They simply are incapable of doing anything that gets them over. It's fantastic. I like the one when you get like... Uh... Well, yeah, it was inconclusive, but uh, I'll take another 10 matches. Thanks very much. It's like, will you? I, I don't think I want 10 more. I'm like sick to the back arse of that combination. I literally, right, I wrote on Twitter, someone said like, someone agreed with the tweet I said about, I buried the word solid as a right. thing. And I said the exact same thing. Ooh, well, didn't get a finish for Cesaro Seth France, but I've got no complaints about seeing that one again. It's like, well, you can Maybe do anything. People should. Maybe like they should get <laughs> Don't read, there's several good books out there. There's several good, watch The Sopranos. Don't watch Seth Rollins versus Cesaro doing a three and a quarter star on a SmackDown rematch. Like, watch The Wire. <laughs> there's, honestly, there's nothing weirder than wrestling fans who don't get bored of wrestling. I've decided, I don't know how you get in that headspace. Uh, They're the weirdest people on Never went dark, did I? Stuck with WWE stupidly through all the lean yeah, But at least you're like, at least you're miserable now. Yeah, it's, true, yeah. It, it, it's made me a shallow husk of a man. Like you'd rather watch, you'd rather play Rocket League. Yeah, I. Yeah. Oh. You still Rocket League? Yeah. Class. It's just it's, think about like think about switches. You can just pick it up and play, and have like fifteen or twenty joyous minutes. I remember I used to feel that way about wrestling matches. <laughs> it was twenty minutes, like burst of joy, and it was done. Like. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. 
United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Well, let's continue with Monday Night Raw. And a match I can't get enough of. Rhea Ripley versus Charlotte Flair, because we have to continue with what's going yeah. on. Yeah. Oh, I cannot take it. Thank God. Thank God. Yes. Uh, that they're both still twats and have a rematch schedule for Money in the Bank. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 pretty much it. Ripley went, well, I don't see why they why everyone's complaining. I've just done exactly what Charlotte Flair's done over the years. That's what kind of reason why people really dislike Charlotte Flair. I don't know if this was another double turn. I saw Murray and Nicholas talking about what happened to Helen Estelle. I don't think you can double turn from both unbearable to still both unbearable, but still, yeah, they booked a match between the two of them at Money in the Bank and maybe they five, five commercials where they say like, come on, buy your tickets. And they're wondering why they need five commercials to sell tickets. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's what's happening at Money in the Bank. Oh, thank goodness we're skipping all that bollocks. Uh, instead, enough of all that, it's now time this it's short it's crap it's wrestling related the five star review review nailed it and this week's five star review review is brought to you by hang on let me just make sure i get this name right matt reigns hey matt reigns uh who titles his piece is coming home quite right matt it is good luck to uh, england and to scotland tonight in the european championships matt reigns writes uh, good morning legends thank you all so much for reviewing last night's terrible episode of raw don't know how you knew that in advance but yeah uh two of you give me so many laughs every single day <laughs> hamlet I know we have a checkered past, brother. This feud of almost 16 months has been tiring at times, yet somehow I still have a bunch of respect for you and always will. Everybody knows your favourite wrestler of all time is Bret Hart, and it's easy to see why. So for that reason, I'd like to dedicate this five-star review review not only to Hamlet, but to the greatest in-ring performer of all time. Could you review the segment when Shawn Michaels impersonated Hulk Hogan on Larry King Live? It would mean the world to me. Got your hopes up just a little bit, didn't I? Sige, love you, King. Wilborn, thank you for everything you do, mate. And to you, Hamlet, you are, without a shadow of a doubt, the worst there is, the worst there was, and the worst there ever will be. Cheers, brothers. Matt Reigns, that is a hell of a promo. That is a hell of a pro wrestling promo. In fact, it was probably better than any promo on Raw last night. Uh, I would, I'll stop listening when he called me brother. I went to be sick. So I'm still. <laughs> well, Hamlet, would you like to give us a, a brief backstory to what was Hulk Hogan versus Shawn Michaels at SummerSlam, of course? 
Yeah, Matt Reigns has been wrong about every single thing in his stupid life, apart from two. One, he likes Michael Sidgwick, and two, he likes Shawn Michaels. Um, Shawn Michaels is really good. He is really, really good. One of the best ever. I wish he wasn't ruining NXT week by week with his idiot best friend. Um, because, it, like, I don't particularly appreciate the way the worm has turned with Shawn Michaels. It gives me no joy to see. I'm a Brett guy, but it was okay to be both. Like, imagine if people talked about wrestling on the internet in the late 90s. I wonder what they'd be saying about wrestling. I'm honestly going to jump off a roof if I see anything <laughs> like that, but I will give you that pop. What they were saying about Brett versus Sean was that I just like one more than the other, but I still like both because they're both absolutely class. If anything, a lot of us were sitting there angry and frustrated that neither of them ever drew. That's that's what like I feel deepest about Brett and Sean is that they never drew and that hurt. Um, Sean was amazing. And when he came back, like I love his run. I do love his post-2002 run. It's great. Um, it's not as good as his 90s one. Real ones, no. Real ones, no. Real ones, no. And for one month, he brought the 90s back. Of that entire 10-year spell when he came back, for one month he brought it back, and it was in this spell against Hulk Hogan where he could do no wrong, where he seemed to locate the anger. Triple H stood calling him an angry young man. It was code for pills. Um, but he seemed to locate the anger. For <laughs> one month. It was in uh, July of 2005 in the build-up to this match with Hulk Hogan. And this was, um, if not at the epicentre of it, I think the famous attack on Montreal was probably the peak, but this came very close to it. Because I'm right in thinking that this originally was going to be a, a three-parter, wasn't it? And it was going to be a... Was it going to be a draw at the end of it all? Or maybe Hogan was going to... I can't remember exactly. I think they're just going to brother each other up and go 1-1, one, one, and then Hogan will probably win yeah. the trilogy. But That's a hazy recollection, and it's probably right. But Hogan's going to Hogan, right, Hamlet? That's right. Stroked his moustache and said, that doesn't work for me, brother. One and done. And uh, that was... It was all very, like... Coy until the last week, I believe. So I think at this point, as like Sean's recording the segment, he believes he's going to get his trilogy, but he also knows he's got to put Hogan over first to get that trilogy. And I think he's wise enough to know that on the night, Hogan might sort of say, like Sean backed Brett on the night of WrestleMania 9, as wild as that sounds. So he's lived through it through somebody else before. So he probably knows he's going to get to work on that Sunday and think, I'm not going to get three matches out of this goddamn fossil. I think he knows. And I think that's partly what informs the fire of the build is that he knows all along he might be getting outbrothered by the original brother. Plus, wasn't the original plan for this not to necessarily have Michaels as a heel? I don't know, but I'm glad it went that way. And I'm mm. like, I don't think the chemistry of the angle would have worked half as well. I think he came out dressed as white, like dressed all in white um, with a promo for Roddy Piper the following week where he kicked him as well. And I think initially they were going to go with him doing like a Shades of Grey thing. But it was just far better when he stayed into this instead. So, yeah, we cut to Larry King live. And Hulk Hogan walks out. Well, I say Hulk Hogan. Shawn Michaels dressed as Hulk Hogan. Uh, spends about 30 seconds getting to his chair with his little Walker Zimmer frame thing and then falls onto the desk whilst taking one hand off the Walker to do the famous Hogan ear cup. Um, and uh, Larry King, again, uh, asks Hulky about Shawn Michaels. And Hulk says, well, let me tell you something, brother. This is a dream match, brother. One that I've always dreamed of, brother. Honestly, the amount of comments are like, oh, 
drink, have a shot every time he says the word brother. Yeah, that's the joke. Uh, but I got news for you. I'll be 102 years old, brother, by the time I step in the ring at SummerSlam, brother. Every day the hoaxer wakes up and he's not dead, brother. He's living on bonus time. And uh, Larry says, uh, so are you, a, are you a good guy or a bad guy? Just to point out, whilst he's asking this question, Hulk Hogan is clutching his chest like he's having a heart attack. He says, well, on camera, brother, I'm a great guy. But when the camera goes off, brother, it's a different story, brother. Oh, brother, brother, brother. And then he flexes going, brother, <laughs> brother, brother. <laughs> Larry continues with his line of questioning, reading them off the piece of paper in front of him, saying, Hulky, do you still like the wrestling? Are you kidding, brother? I love it. It's in my blood, brother. It's also in my knee, brother, and my hip, brother. But I just can't seem to shake it, brother. And if I shake too hard, brother, it's going to be in my back, brother. Do you know what I mean, brother? Brother. Move on. I would just like to point out at this point how impressed I am that Shawn Michaels as Hulk Hogan has not turned out to be Shawn Michaels as Hulk Hogan as Enzo Amore. So well done for that. Not yet. So, Think it's gonna get there. There's a certain thing that he says that's gonna that's gonna the new the Jersey Devil in here is gonna pop out. It's coming, isn't it? Uh and so uh Larry asks him if he's too old. Uh he says, I got news for you, Larry, brother. It's now how old you are, it's how old you feel, brother. And I feel 157, <laughs> brother. Uh, someone who sounds suspiciously like John Ma uh, Josh Matthews calls in to ask when we'll see him again in Battle Creek, and he says. Again in Battle Creek. Oh, brother, that would imply I'd ever go to Battle Creek, brother. The Hulkster only makes the big towns, brother. Wonderful touch, that. Uh, and then Larry introduces a video package about Shawn Michaels and, of course, the turn on Hulk Hogan. This is spectacular stuff, Pamphlet. Unbelievable. Um, better than every episode of Raw we've ever reviewed as a trio in the history of this podcast. This single video package captures, and again, key to the act, Captures Sean less so in the baggy pants of the Jesus run and in the like pomp of his days as the heartbreak kid because it's all about his arrogance. He talks about his like little lines, like he's not just the icon, he's the icon that can still go. That was a dig at Hulk Hogan in 1997 and Sting and Age in the Cage and all of that sort of stuff. Um, he's going to give you the best show why because he can, like. That was the Shawn Michaels that like you hated, but you loved hating because he really like really was the best. Like the like Brett was the best, the best ever, but like Sean was the best too. Vince had them both, just nobody wanted to buy tickets to see it. And I like I loved this video package and it fed really nicely into the heel turn as well. Cause Hogan looked like Sean was getting on a bit in the 2000s, but when he laid that super kick on Hogan, Hogan looked ancient. Like he looked so past it, and it didn't look remotely believable that. He could ever beat Shawn Michaels. And I think Shawn relished that, like relished talking about that in the build. I just love that JR line. And they used it loads uh, during this time about no one ever being, being able to outperform Shawn Michaels in a big match situation. I just, I don't know why that always resonated with me. Uh, so anyway, big, big package. Isn't Shawn Michaels amazing? And the turn on Hogan, it cuts back <laughs> to an open mouth, Hulk Hogan, mid flex, who just goes, Oh, brother, like that. <laughs> Dead. So, uh, it's going to be a long, let's get, the, let's get the throat going here. Larry asks, what's going to happen at SummerSlam? 
Get the vocal exercises. Come on, haters. Come on, haters. <laughs> he says, well, after seeing that, brother, I've obviously got some serious politicking to do backstage with Vincent K. McMahon. You see, brother, Shawn Michaels is obviously an amazing athlete, brother, but he never made it to the upper tier, brother. You see... When after I walked out of the WWE, brother, and decided to make to go make even more money somewhere else, brother, they gave the ball to Shawn Michaels, but he just couldn't quite get the job done. You see, he's got more important things on his mind, like becoming the greatest wrestler that has ever stepped in the ring, brother. He's more concerned about going there each and every night, brother, and stealing the show. He works just as hard, brother, in Battle Creek, Michigan, brother, as he does in Madison Square Garden, brother. You see the hoaxer? He's got a philosophy, brother. Once those people are in the building, brother, you've already got their yes in your front pocket, brother. But Shawn Michaels, brother, he'd rather go out there, brother, and nearly kill himself, brother, just to make sure those people get their money's worth, brother. But you see something, it's not going to matter. Because you know Mean Gene, brother, when the hoaxer... <laughs> his do-rag's fallen off, along with what's left of his hair. He's bald, uh, and Larry interrupts him to remind him he's, he's not with me and Gene, he's with Larry King. But don't worry, don't worry. Whatever, brother. He's selling tickets, brother. What you gonna do, brother, when the hoaxer comes at you, Shawn Michaels, at SummerSlam, brother? We're gonna hook up, brother. You and me. How, how ominous was this? You and me for the first time in history, brother. The first time, brother. The last time, brother. The only time, brother. And when that bell, when that bell rings, brother. Oh, brother. He flexes. Yeah. Yeah. He's flexing and he puts his back out. He gets a cramp. He's he's overselling, of course. And then suddenly he super kicks Larry King. Ah. And he gets serious at this point. He uh, rips the ball cap off. Shawn Michaels is revealed to be the man behind the mask. Ooh. He's still got the mustache on, though. And he cuts the promo saying, Hulk Hogan, you've got your reality show. Hogan knows best. Well, at SummerSlam, what are you going to do when reality kicks you right in the face? And he super kicks the camera. I also like the bit where he super kicks Larry King, then throws his sunglasses at him. And that apparently wakes Larry King up. But yes, what, what a hell of a moment this was, Sige. Oh, my God. Brett, this is a great promo. An absolute great build. Like... They've stumbled upon the sideshow Rick gag in WWE canon with the brother stuff. Every time it gets funnier, there's a certain brilliant quality to the storytelling where it's cathartic even to those who still liked Hogan at the time. This is before it all went a bit wrong for him and he was revealed to be a complete arsehole. But Bret Hart fans for the longest time, for the longest time, everything's when you're a nerd like me and Hamlet. Everything is through the prism of professional wrestling. Your entire chronology of your own life. Everything's through wrestling. Your understanding of the world is shaped by wrestling. My favorite wrestlers growing up were Marty Jannetty and Hulk Hogan. All right? Look what happened to them. And there's Bret Hart, who then became my favorite in 1993. And uh, look what happened to him. So justice in this world. There's no karma. You'd be forgiven as a Bret Hart fan for thinking, ah, you know, just gonna rot on the ground when it's all done with, and just gonna get your lot all horribly random and more often than not unfair. And yet, when you look at this segment in retrospect, Shawn Michaels taking the piss out of Hulk Hogan as this bald, frail, money grabbing asshole 
looks literally precisely the same that he did at Crown Jewel 2018. This rake thin <laughs> baldy on a cash grab, making a dick of himself. This segment was awesome if you're a Michaels guy. And in the years since, it becomes even better if you're a Brett guy. Absolutely textbook pro wrestling, this. <laughs> we've, uh, we've got a phone call in from Riyadh. When are you going <laughs> to come back? Because the irony is that Shawn Michaels wouldn't come back for Madison Square Garden, brother. Nobody <laughs> <laughs> in the world. From Battle Creek to Madison Square Garden to Saudi Arabia. Jesus Christ, everyone involved in wrestling is a complete dick. Then now forever. Let's uh, let's go to the comments section. As always, these do not refer to use myself, the Dally Boys, or anyone at What Culture Wrestling. Jason Fisher writes, here as I just read the news about the passing of Larry King. R.I.P. Larry King. No, it's not Larry King. It's not Larry King, Jason. Come on. Giovanni writes, when I first saw this, I peed my pa because I couldn't stop laughing. Peed his pants? <laughs> no, pa. Peed my pa. I peed my pa because I couldn't stop laughing. Okay. Uh, Jameson Relax Swang Thang writes... They both should have one more match at WrestleMania 38. <laughs> 38! Jesus Christ. You wouldn't get Sean disavowing God for one month because he'd literally need the help of the Lord to get through that one. Uh, Olmeca Dark Rose, slightly off topic, writes, Sean is the man. I wonder how many girls he actually nailed in his time. <laughs> Oh, that's not going to those waters. There's some stuff Martin Gennetti said. I think Sean probably wonders it too. And the final comment here comes from Charo. I've no idea why they've gone on this specific video and gone, this is the place. This is where I make my stand. You guys know that Hogan's supposed to be my dad. He used to like my mum 10,000%, but he already had, his, had a wife and kids. <laughs> Imagine the Hulk's at the hospital and someone gives birth. That doesn't work for the Hulkster brother. <laughs> Just walks out. Gets <laughs> Jimmy Hart to pull out some paperwork, sign it. The child is Richard Weir. <laughs> Oh, thanks once again to, I can't remember who wrote that review, actually. Oh, yeah, Matt Raines uh, for that wonderful review. If you want to do exactly the same as Matt did, suggest something short, crap, and wrestling, or that, not that it was crap, but something short and wrestling related and just something fun for us to talk about instead of Monday Night Raw, subscribe to What Culture Wrestling and leave us a five-star review on there. And we return to Monday Night Raw, where the roles have been reversed, guys. Last week... It was Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke doing a photo shoot. Well, this week it's Tamina and Natalia. Uh, Sarah Schreiber goes up to do an interview, but bloody noise in the back because Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke are training as they should. Although, to be fair, so should Natalia. Practice your sharpshooter. How can you not do it yet? Anyway, uh, they go, can you clip it down a bit, guys? And they said, we're just doing what you said last week. Put in the work. And Natalia said, I'll tell you what, this is really... 
oh, this is thrilling. This is why I love wrestling. Natalia says, we're obligated to do media as champions. Oh, good, admin. That's what I like in my wrestling storylines. Uh, and they said, come on, let's have a fight. And Natalia went, I literally beat you last night. What are you talking about? And they said, no, come on, get in the ring. And as they go to get in the ring, Rosenbrook drop kicked them off the apron. Who were the baby faces? Who were the heels? Who cares? What a load of bollocks, Hamlet. A bad angle that has gotten worse. But for the second time in like, what, like three months maybe? Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke, like are the only ones that understand how WWE works. Shrugging off the results of matches. <laughs> like, remember the countdown loss they took? Uh, it's like, nah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Not worth it. And then, like, like on last this promo, it was effectively, like, like Natalia, the point of it, logic, I, I beat you. Why should you have a shot? I beat you. So, like, <laughs> she's right. Like, Dana Brooke and Mandy Rose understand this universe far more than the rest of the wrestlers. When's that ever counted for sh- Like, give us our title shot. Just, aye. So hideous that he doesn't know how bad it is. But it's, it's, it drives me insane, this company. Truly does. On one hand... The most like artificial and contrived scenario imaginable. There's a training ring at the same time as you have an interview at the same time as you have a photo shoot. So you do all of your duties as a professional wrestler in one magical place. This doesn't happen, hence why the performance center is a failure. Got him. <laughs> and also, WWE, I'm sorry, I popped myself for that. WWE is such a disorganized mess that I can, in fact believe that such a place exists hmm. let's move on shall we because we've got john morrison versus randy orton at a money in the bank qualifier next to miz was wheeling himself around ringside whilst this was all going on uh, morrison in control early on until sitch i immediately thought of you when this happened randy orton took him to the outside and slammed him on the announce table no dq none of that nah who cares uh, and, yes, granted. People on Twitter who I don't not respect, who like ask these questions out loud. Oh, why? Because he's got soup for brains, man. And he thinks you're. That's why. Uh, so uh, as we go to a break, Orton stalks a man in a wheelchair, effectively. Uh, Morrison's in control as we come back, but Orton eventually fights back. Power slam, draping DDT, sets up for the RKO. But the rapidly getting over in Wilborn's world, dripstick gets utilized. It's raised Randy Orton in the face. Wilborn's world, Harry Ward. <laughs> and uh, that allows Morrison to schoolboy in for a two count, though. Thankfully, we're not having any distractions costing Randy Orton this week. Riddle comes out. He slowly chases a wheelchair-bound Miz around the ring as he's in a scooter. That distracts Orton. Morrison smashes into him. Starship pain. One, two, three. John Morrison qualifies for money in the bank, which I'm happy for him. But, yeah, a convoluted way to get there, Sige, let's say. I mean, yeah, the match was totally incidental to the absolute bollocks on the outside. You've got a guy who's going to do something cooler in a ladder match than Randy Orton ever could. If you still cared about, here's the thing about this. There's a theme throughout this night, and it was totally artificial change. Oh, there's loads of upset. That was the theme. It's better than your other themes. Mm, yeah. All the time. So I'm happy with that. It's not going to inform any meaningful change, but it made for, ah, it's a talking point. 
oh, it's gonna be a cool lot of match with Ricochet and John Morrison. And, you know, I'm, I'm actually excited for this. Yeah. Like, it's like proper dumb fun, really committed dumb fun. The match quality was incidental to the the bollocks on the outside. My latitude towards which is just growing ever thinner. I tell you what, I actually actively hated. Right, there's the kernel of actually amusing juxtaposition in the Orton Riddle dynamic, and they've ruined it entirely. Like Matt Riddle as Adamas is not as uniformly bad as it should be, and that sometimes. Orton's crucial deadpan presence next to him actually half makes it work sometimes. But now that it's getting a little bit more emotional, it's getting a bit more rubbish. Riddle's whiny voice, Randy, <laughs> Randy. It's like, oh, it's even worse than being this food-obsessed moron. Randy. Randy. It's just, I hope you get just punted in the head. <laughs> That's always been the problem with this, isn't it? Is the day that Orton finally knocks that prick off his scooter. It's going to be a bit too cathartic for its own good. With a um, punch, Randy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, like a fine match and it never had a chance of being anything more than that. Um, yet the, that theme... Whenever they do this, like, yeah, as Sidney points out, like, night of upsets, things are changing. We didn't see all this coming. Like, it's true, but it's WWE, so it doesn't matter. John Morrison's first Money in the Bank match was 2008. So it's like, what's that Morrison going to do with Money in the Bank? I don't know. Just on the network to find out. Like, I lost myself in Will Bond's review of this match. Thinking about what Will Bourne's world would look like, and all I could think of was, do you remember that? Um, music just coming on a loop, the clown college music, Frosty's advert. I think it was Frosty's, maybe Crunch of Conflicts, with that overexcited kid. Whereas, like, it's gonna take three, yeah, and there was like, like all of a sudden, there was like thousands of people like spilling out the houses with balls of cereal going, it's gonna taste great, and like they were all like rising at the sky, like that bit in ET. Everyone's getting happier and happier and happier, and cereal is the best, and everything's the best. And somebody in the background's going, Come on. and then you get some cereal and you're dreading it and you're running for it, but it's just more and more cereal. Uh. <laughs> That's Will Bond's world coming to Raw next week. Will Bond's world. Everyone walks out the house and goes, hey, how you doing? Like, to every <laughs> neighbour. That kid, the whole crowd of people is suddenly brought to a stop. Hey, you all right? And they carry on. It's going gonna, gonna... Uh, to... Will Bourne's world, right? It's a gloomy, like, brutalist architecture. Grey skies. You know that white grey that's somehow worse than grey in the clouds? Mm. <laughs> And everyone's uh, just walking around incredibly depressed, like ants in single file, doing their sort of indeterminate office job in these brutalist, like, building blocks. Then Wilborn goes, this is opposite land. Welcome to the <laughs> Going to the shops, every every single outfit is only a medium. That's only... <laughs> Anyway, let's go back to Monday Night Raw, the depressing reality of Monday Night Raw. 
because uh, uh, what's his name? Carl Patrick. Yeah, he interviews Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler. Uh, Shayna says she's not afraid of anyone. Nothing's going to stop them from qualifying for Money in the Bank. Not, I don't know, people who can possess you or even superheroes. That wouldn't stop her either. Uh, and uh, Nia Jax goes, something some up with Alexa Bliss. Nothing quite like her. Yeah, you reckon so? She possessed you yesterday, Nia. Anyway, the good news, Tyson O'Neill got nominated for the 2021 Muhammad Ali Sports Humanitarian Award because he's the only good person in WWE. And then we got Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler with the Somali knobhead uh, versus Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross. And what a one-two punch this was. Before we get to Nikki Cross, gents, what do you make of Alexa Bliss's new theme? If you didn't hear it, by the way, I'll, I'll, do you want me to recreate it for you? Yeah, I'll skip the entrances. Why waste more of my time than I need to? Well, it's got Lily all over it. She's going nowhere, if you think. We just got who on it? Hmm? It's no, got who on it? One second. I've missed a trick here, because I haven't actually recorded the whole song with this. <laughs> Preposterous. <laughs> I meant to say, the, uh, the, the Tron doesn't have Alexa Bliss. It actually, uh, it actually features... Um, quite prominent <laughs> yeah Alexa says <laughs> the evil is mine welcome to my playground it'll be fun I promise <laughs> and then the voice goes the evil is mine and they play some guitar and uh, it's just a load of sh what do you think of it Amphor? it's time for your spooky story <laughs> It's rubbish, man. It's just toilet. Um, There's one funny element of this is that from what you're saying, it sounds exactly what they did to Bray Wyatt's theme. So poor bastard Bray Wyatt's been watching this at home with like a solitary tear running down his <laughs> cheek. My entire run is gone because there's a pedophile and WWE creative who's in this. <laughs> it's nothing to do with being set on fire on telly. It's a nonce backstage. Yeah. <laughs> Well, at least, at least I made all that money from the ridiculously expensive belt. How much for cameos? Why did we do that? So I thought... Should we club together and ask him to do a cameo as the sister Abigail that was supposed to fight Pumpkin Finn Balor? Just for <laughs> us. Buy one cameo, get your free vial of viscous liquid. Um, <laughs> so I, I watched that and I was like, oh, that was dreadful. Well, it can't get any worse. Cuts to the back... Nikki, I feel bad about burying this because I read about like Killian Dane saying this is Nikki's thing. She came up with it. She seems really happy with it all. But it's a load of bollocks. She's, I don't know, a superhero. Literally, she had a mask on, blue eye makeup around her. And I thought, well, that looks dreadful. But I suppose can't get any worse. She's talking about no matter everyone's shortcomings, you know, she's there to represent people and she's, you know, here to do her best and it zooms out and she's got a full superhero outfit complete with cape and everything. And I just, I said audibly, what the, this morning, just as I was watching this in bed. Uh, well, what do you make of it, Sid? Because uh, she knows what she's doing, basically, doesn't she? I mean, she looks pitiable. She looks absolutely pitiable. And, you know, Killian Dane might have said this. And, you know, from what I know of Nikki Cross's um, work as Nikki Storm, could quite possibly be her idea. Um, but at the same time, Killian Dane's got a previous... First of all, he's a wrestler. 
trust a goddamn word these people say, any of them, right? <laughs> even the ones you think are, other than Bret Hart, right? Don't just disregard anything that they say on public record. Uh, Killian Dane was the guy who on Twitter piped up and said, and someone was like, oh, Christ, come on, Killian, man. Don't want to see it in a, in a T-shirt. That time he did, wore one on SmackDown. I was like, no, that's not my, it was my idea. So the, these wrestlers, he doesn't wrestle on T-shirt anymore, does he? These wrestlers talk bollocks on the, on the regular. Look, we were having a little bit of a crack on about this. So I'll let Hamlet say what he said. Because I just think that, look, she's getting herself on telly. Absolutely fair enough. She might just be a bit of a dork with a rubbish sense of humour and, like, fair play that way. She might be incredibly cynical and astute and knows that what she's doing is far more likely to get her on TV. Fair enough. In that kind of Drake Maverick, oh, God, if you want to demean yourself to do it, I mean... It's a living. Pamphlet, you had the perfect take on what doesn't count on TV versus what does. Yeah, like Nikki Cross is not as stupid as this costume looks, ultimately. She has come dressed for World Book Day and the book is Vincent Mann's book of terrible ideas that he loves. And she's going to be dressed as it. And every day is World Book Day in Vincent Mann's company. Um, this will, if nothing else, get her more traction than her running her hands through her hair in Twitter videos, asking why she's not getting opportunities before the Royal Rumble. Because let's be honest, that's three quarters of the WWE main roster. Um, and he doesn't care about any of them. He doesn't have respect for any of them. They walk past him in Gorilla and he just tuts and sighs and probably looks across that table at Jeff Jarrett and misses him. Like, <laughs> he fired him on telly. Like, just, he has clearly, like, so little respect for his talent today that he sees somebody that isn't going like the Zack Ryder route to getting over and finding tangible ways to draw revenue, self-made, that he now wants to give to Vince McMahon. He's found somebody that's willing to be very silly. And Killian Dane and Nikki Cross is, like what we're going to learn about the reality of this character perhaps gives it a little bit of heart and a little bit of warmth. But that's not at the core of what Vince McMahon's going to get out of this. He's going to get somebody looking pretty stupid. Um, he's going to get a, you know someone that like will be willing to do just about anything to get over and stay over, which you'll respect bizarrely and she'll get TV time in this role. And, and I hope this never happens for her, but if she was to ever get fired, like superheroes do well on the Indies, Molly's had no trouble, trouble as mighty Molly hurricane is pretty much still the hurricane inside and out of WWE the multiple times he's been in and out of that company. Um, this will probably stick and not necessarily in all the worst ways. He's one side of this. The other side of it is it's a pretty terrible television character and we're going to get loads and loads and loads of it. But they're both two valid sides. I used to love the fact that it was like, right, back to the good old days of Nikki Cross and Alexa Bliss tagging. As we all remember, one's a superhero and one can possess people and is a spooky <laughs> doll. That was weird. Um, yeah, mid-match, uh, Bliss tries hypnotising Reginald again. But Jackson Bates would just go, just don't look at her. And that apparently worked. You can just snap out of it. Um, in the midst of all this, Nikki Cross comes off the top and wipes them all out with a dive. Uh, it's Cross and Baszler. Um, Baszler gets given a back suplex by Nikki Cross. And Bliss goes up to the top and hypnotizes Reginald. It goes to twat Nia Jax, but stops himself. Jax, I think, shakes him, snaps him out of it, gives him a hug. 
Cross drops the kicks from both, rolls up Baszler, pins her. Who cares? Who cares? Nikki Cross and Alexa Bliss are at Money in the Bank. And, uh, well, start the fantasy booking now, Sige. We're going to have a hell of a time with uh, this Alexa Bliss character in Money in the Bank. I honestly can't wait, man, because in my head, are they doing a Raws before Money in the Bank, or is that the first one back? There's a swipe with the crowd. Yeah. Oh, even better, because... I think that the, and it has done recently in recent years, the women's Money in the Bank will open Money in the Bank because like to separate the ladder matches. They're not that daft. And the men, you know, they will take priority. <laughs> the first match on a WWE pay-per-view that isn't WrestleMania with fans, they're going to take a crap on it. <laughs> they're going to reject it big time, I think. Or they're just going to just have no clue how to react. They're not going to go banana for it. Let's put it that way. Uh, let's talk about the match uh, there's nothing to talk about with the match so let's talk about something else <laughs> they've established a logic though with the Alexa Bliss character that she's entering a money in the bank a match all about big spots and big risks where her quickest route to win is by standing still and doing absolutely nothing until the people that are staring at her also stand still and do nothing she should by rights just look at all of the other competitors and stand there while she climbs the ladder at a snail's pace that's how this character would win that match I do really hope and only because she's wearing a cape right now. It could be anyone in this match that someone's going to be at the top of that ladder about to reach it. Alexa Bliss is just going to look at her. And the, if you just don't look back, you look up the briefcase, you, she can't possess you. But they're going to look at her and she's going to convince them that, that she's that they are Io Shirai in war games with a bin on her head and just jump off the ladder. <laughs> That's what's going to happen. And it's going to be epic. So I can't wait for that. Backstage, uh, Sonya Deville, Postman Pierce, they go up to Drew McIntyre. They say, you don't have to compete tonight. You went through hell. And he goes, well, hang on, Bobby Lashley's in a hell in a cell match. I think I'll be all right. And then quotes Winston Churchill. Will he get a big book of quotes for his birthday or something? We'll fight them on the beaches. I thought it was William Wallace. What's, what's going on, Drew? Anyway, they went, all right, mate. Good luck. And uh, we we're talking about new opportunities. And I was thinking, I was thinking... I'm really happy that, you know, the, the old tropes of just letting all, any old knobhead who's on the roster get into the Money in the Bank match just because they're an established name. So Jinder Mahal, Jeff Hardy, Sheamus and Cedric Alexander were backstage bitching and moaning that they weren't in Money in the Bank. Mahal and Hardy were like, oh, we were WWE champions. And uh, Cedric Alexander said, all oh, these bloody old antiques, I should be in there. I sh- I've beaten him twice. Dibble went, well, you're not. Matches are final. Sheamus went, I shouldn't even have to qualify. I'm United States champion. And Pierce went, oh, so you're all right to defend the belt then? And he went, oh, no, my nose is starting hurting again. I need to go and get it checked. And uh, Jinder Mahal, ominously here, Michael Hamlet said, uh, so if something were to happen to one of the participants, maybe they should consider him as a replacement. And all I could think was, where the fuck's Damien Priest in all this? Yeah, well, I've never even thought to even ask that question. You have in front of me, at least, on the future of Damian Priest. Considering how boring Mahal was as WWE champion, we can believe that he follows every instruction to the absolute letter, which it's funny to me that he was scripted. And I know there was supposed to be a sense of mystery around it, but like the most Jinder Mahal is allowed to shoot for the moon is by saying, maybe I could be a substitute. Like, <laughs> maybe fingers crossed I can get on the bench. Like, they're all just such losers, such browbeating losers that this former WWE champion is hopes are that dashed already. But yeah, uh, that's what I got as well. Like, 
doing them all getting in. Um, like spoiler for later on, I guess, but they talk about a last chance entry thing next week's role. Mm-hmm. They're gonna have one. They do it anyway every year. There's always this like this extra way in that somebody sneaks in and all of that, whether it be through that match or through a battle royal or some bollocks. I that that was what I took from it as well. Jinder's gonna be the one in the match that nobody wants to win because the one thing you want to give potential ticket buying punters is a sense of dread. <laughs> Jeff already had a cracker of a line here. Cedric Alexander, you're too busy future tripping. (laughs) You might get wiped out by this antique. Jeff Hardy will get away with that. The title of his new album, probably. (laughs) Future tripping by Perox by Jeff. (laughs) (laughs) Someone to think about my past. Uh, surprise, surprise, Riddle yet again had the best match on Monday Night Raw this week. Uh, he faced Drew McIntyre, and the story of this match is McIntyre is generally better than Riddle, but his back is messed up. Uh, Riddle targets that, um, eventually yanks him off the top. It's a senton, suplexes, kicks him in the back. I felt that one. Uh, eventually, McIntyre powers back, though. Suplexes Riddle off the top. Orton comes out. They go to a break. McIntyre goes for something else off the top, but Riddle counters it into a powerbomb. Knee strike. Uh, goes for a Pele kick, but McIntyre blocks that and hits a Mishinoku driver for a two count. Uh, again, McIntyre comes off the top this time, uh, but Riddle catches him in a triangle choke, which McIntyre fights out of and hits a future shock DDT for a near fall. Riddle goes for a floating bro. McIntyre dodges it. McIntyre goes for a Claymore kick. Riddle counters that into a bro mission. McIntyre fights out. Glasgow kiss, headbutt. But Riddle catches him in a victory roll for the one, two, three. Riddle qualifies for the money in the bank after a great match. Uh, goes to see Orton at the top of the stage. Wants a fist bump, but uh, Orton isn't happy, is not willing to, to give him the, the out of boy. And uh, Riddle moans at him, basically. But a great match, Hampler. Yeah, um, great booking, great match, great result, great all round. Um, the quality of the work, I guess, was never in doubt because Drew and Riddle are two of the best at performing in these circumstances. And we got lots of that here. A nice combination of the um, McIntyre chemistry with Lashley and Sheamus and like Riddle's work, specifically with Xavier Woods, of like combining a bit of a beef slapper with something that was approaching like a sort of hybrid classic by the end. Drew was wrestling like a man sort of half his own, like the size he used to be, perhaps Mm. to like to level up to like Riddle's speed and aerial game, which I just really, really like. Shouldn't be such a styles clash because like Riddle's kind of massive too, but like it started to feel like one in a, in a really pleasing way. Very few matches justified the time that this got, but this one absolutely did. And just a, a superb booking. Riddle didn't look like a cowardly figure getting to pick the bones of a guy that was bad last night. He was just like playing the cards he was dealt ultimately, fighting against an ex WWE champion with absolutely loads of pedigree and loads of guts. Um, a bold result, but the right result. Uh, wins and losses matter, WWE, and this loss, like last night's loss, uh, will matter to Drew McIntyre in the long run. And like, I, I just and the RK Bro stuff was followed up on afterwards as well. So even that, like, they didn't they didn't waste time in the aftermath. And I liked all of this. If you're going to no sell the gravity of the Hell in a Cell stipulation that in the weeks beforehand you will piss and moan and blather on about how it changes people. Like you can literally see that change 
scored on Drew McIntyre's back and he's wrestling a night later. God damn it, you can have a night off. If you're not going to do that, pin him clean in the middle to convey that he's been weakened by the cell. Like Again, low bar, I shall take that low bar. There were elements here that I think this match at some point was so good that there were like kind of clunky moments where Drew was throwing himself into um, riddles like triangle and stuff like that, where it felt clunky, but of course it was going to, but it really resonated as a struggle, which is such like lovely contrast to how polished and nice and clean a lot of WWE wrestling is. Um, yep, I thought this was excellent. Not excellent, but very good. Let's hope he makes it to that uh, last chance triple threat for the uh, Money in the Bank match. Drew McIntyre, Randy Orton, AJ Styles. If only there was a connection that linked Jinder Mahal and Drew McIntyre in the past that we could do some LTST with. Well, we'll see. Um, not only that next week, though, we are getting a... I, I, I genuinely can't think of any other company that have advertised anything like this in the next few weeks or months. A... Um, a strap match. Well, it's original. Jackson Riker was whipping himself in the back when Mansoor walked up. Mansoor himself tweeted, like, why is my career like my career mode on 2K at the moment? <laughs> He's asking Jackson Riker for some advice. And uh, the advice Riker gives is never let your enemy escape, which is why I've got a strap match with Elias next week. And Mustafa Ali, congratulations, Mustafa Ali, by the way, and his partner now expecting in December. Uh, but he says that uh, Mansoor is looking in the wrong direction, asking the wrong people. They should be asking why they weren't in the Money in the Bank qualifying matches. Uh, and Ali said, if you aren't given the chance to climb the ladder, you have to build your own. And Riker is uh, whipping himself whilst all this is going on. Very excited for a strap match, Sige. Original, like this. Look, I'm going to give them some credit here. You know, I, yeah, I never usually miss an opportunity to dunk on these dickheads, but they've done two count-out finishes, right, with Elias twice running away over consecutive weeks. I think they at least happened around the same time as the strap match was set up. I think they've had this one on the chamber. I'll give them that. I'll give them that. Um, the idea is Elias can't run away from a strap match. I'll give them it. I'll give them it. Um, weird promo. I don't know how this guy is a babyface at all. And one way, this is a bit unorthodox, but um, one way of selling the brutality of the upcoming strap match is to strap oneself and don't sell the pain of how much it would hurt. <laughs> I wouldn't do that, but you know, I'm not a billionaire, I've never monopolized anything. This segment one before it where it was Adam Pierce like scaring off Seamus from having a fight whatever the the only thing sadder than backstage at Raw is when there's a party backstage at Raw just every single time they do one of these several wrestlers like in England backstage it just looks like the most miserable existence I wouldn't swap my life for any of theirs and like I got an alright life but I don't think that's the ideal message to be sending <laughs> yeah wouldn't trade it for any of them. And yet again, before we move on, Lansua, that line is much better on Twitter than anything that's been scripted into his mouth. So, oh, everything's bad. And you get a reminder of that every day. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got the main event, finally. It was the Hell in a Cell match between Bobby Lashley and Xavier Woods. This was enjoyable. Uh, not giving too long... 15 minutes, something like that. Nice main event. Um, Woods, obviously, 
was trying to cut corners because it's Bobby Lashley he's in there with. He uh, tried to attack him at one point with a chair and Lashley just punched it into his face, which was great. Um, Woods, though, does use his speed, his agility to get into this. He dodges a spear, drop kicks Lashley into the cage and then just twats him with a chair as we went to one of the breaks. Uh, eventually, uh, after obviously we come back, Lashley's in control naturally. Woods fights back, kendo stick shots, a wheelbarrow face buster for two, a tornado DDT for a two count. Woods even slips out of a powerbomb, super kicks Lashley onto a table that's been set up in the ring, and it's a diving elbow drop off the uh, top rope through the table for two. Just a wonderful uh, moment that. In the end, though, uh, Lashley shucks Woods into a chair that's set up in the corner. He hits a spear. He puts the hurt lock on him, and Woods has to submit. But post-match, after all that, they want to make sure that they really make a moment uh, that Kofi is uh, recognises the power of Bobby Lashley and the threat that awaits him at Money in the Bank. So MVP uh, gets inside the cell as Lashley continues to attack Xavier Woods post-match, uh, locks the cell shut MVP so Kingston can't make it inside and he has to stare through the mesh watching Lashley rub his mate's face against the cage and put him in another hurt lock. Kingston screaming at him to let him go, torturing his friend as we go off the air. Uh, I mean, sadistic, but an enjoyable conclusion to Monday Night Raw Hampler. And that's maybe why I thought, is this show getting better? Yeah, it was all pretty decent, this. Um continues to be like a reasonable build to Lashley and Kofi. Uh, they've done, it's look, it's been on the table, obviously since the middle of last month, they were looking through the Drew McIntyre match. And I can appreciate that because I like to see the process when it functions well. I don't want to see the wires, but I like to see a well-functioning process. And it's obviously something they've thought through and the hell in the cell bit wasn't. They've had to use the cell because they've had to apologize. The USA network, you would assume, and it was still set up. So they found a way to make the cell. Like they incorporate the cell in it. Really good visual at the end of that, like hurt lock up against the cell right in Kofi's face. The reality of the, the threat that awaits uh, Kofi. Uh, and the match was decent as well. I think I don't want to be biased against the wrestlers I don't like versus the ones I do. So I will say, I think your mileage on this match will vary based on how much you enjoy Woods and Lashley. Because a lot of it, like in its pacing, if not the work itself, was quite formulaic. There was a lot of a sense that you were just moving from street fight spot to street fight spot to street fight spot that happened to have a cell on top of it. But I like the work of Lashley and Wood, so I like this match. Yeah. That elbow, he's got such a goddamn spring in his step. That elbow nearly overshot. Yeah. Like Woods, David Woods, like, I love this program, but I think I would flip it. And I wish it was, I wish he was beating up Kofi. And I wish it was Woods being like, look, if this is what I do with the serious one in your group, what am I going to do to you? I really wish I'd flip this because Woods is the money guy for me, but we got this anyway. Really, like, really, really great match because I like watching these two work. Um, and yeah, they've not stumbled with the Kofi stuff yet. And I, what are we talking, like four weeks maybe to the money in the bank? Like, I really hope they don't because I think this is something crowds will pop for. I think they'll, like, they'll get an earfall in this that mm. I think the crowd will absolutely love if they don't screw this up before the pay-per-view. A well-worked, totally redundant match that to which I was completely desensitised by the fact that I've seen like four across three consecutive mm. WWE programs. And I like Xavier Woods a lot. I think his performance here in the spirit of it rather than the art of it, if that makes any sense, was like really strong. But if nothing else, I really got a renewed admiration for Bailey watching this. What's happened is two very similar things. Bailey and Bianca 
basically told with a few days notice. Are you going in the cell, by the way? Um, because we're going to do Ray versus uh, Roman on SmackDown. You can have this one because we need another one for the... They had a couple of days notice and Bailey put something possibly a little bit too cute together, but I'll never decry creativity in this company. I suspect because... Uh, USA got a bit pissy. The exact same thing happened to Woods and Lashley here, and I think that it's a harsh thing. You should be bar- you shouldn't be putting the two pairs of workers against each other. You should be burying the company for imposing this like dangerous match at the last minute on both of them. But you know the contrast is there to be made, and this is just a little bit too boilerplate for me and redundant and you know, repetitive for me to really care about, but be nice to the people involved. It was good enough. And if it wasn't for all the cell stuff, to which I'm just, well, like the storytelling genuinely strong for a fresh main event angle. And how often can you say that about WWE? Pleasantly surprising, uh, but not always surprising episode of Monday Night Raw. But do let us know your thoughts on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. What I say, you can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamflit at... Michael Hamflit. Follow Michael Sidgwick at... Uh, M. Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE. And make sure you subscribe to WhatCultureWrestling, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts. Still to come today, our AEW Dynamite review, slightly delayed... Uh, obviously, and our NXT preview to come later on today. And whilst you're out of subscribing to What Culture Wrestling, leave us a five-star review on iTunes, just like Matt Raines did, and suggest something short, crap, and wrestling-related for us to review instead of a god-awful Monday Night Raw segment. But this has been the Raw Review. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.